Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Crime Library. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah. And I'm Jesse. And this week, we're going to be covering Another Kind of Madness, A Journey Through the Stigma and Hope of Mental Health. And it is written, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Stephen P. Hinshaw. Yes. I kind of like his last name. Yeah. It's fun to say Hinshaw. Hinshaw. It is fun to say. Uh, so I guess we'll go in with your thoughts on the book. How'd you feel? Did you like it? Not like it? What happened? I liked what it was on. I thought it was cool to like read something about mental health and kind of go on this journey. It's one we haven't really covered before and just in general for me to read about, but I did not really enjoy the book overall as a whole. No, um, no, I listened to it, which you and I kind of discussed right. might have been my first mistake because there are parts that are very more like clinical, doctory, yeah. clinical, perfect, perfect way to say it. Um, so it was hard for me to get through, but that was yeah, just I feel me. like he kind of forgot that he was talking to people who didn't have a degree in this. Right. In some parts, um, his family parts were written very well and like personal experience, but once he started to phase into like the uh actual diagnosis but bipolar schizophrenia things like that he lost his way a little bit into technical speak and that lost right. me but I think like we talked about it I ended up I started listening to it and ended up reading it mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it a lot more when I wasn't listening to it yeah I it, think I should have it let me like take my time and kind of like really get in there with how he was feeling and if there was something that was clinically I could kind of go back and start over and be like okay maybe try and break let this me, down a little bit yeah, yeah. Let, let me put on my thinking cap while I read this so I liked it I liked yeah. it a lot I think when I first started we didn't think about what was going to be the true crime in it because we just wanted right. something that wasn't like murdery yeah, and I was like doing a lot of like dark, yeah. depressing things. We were like, let's yeah. steer a little bit away. This is still dark and depressing, just in a different way. But I so 100. I think the true crime that I found it is he talks a lot about the stigma and how people are treated. And then right. what we learn about the abuse, both in his father's family and in these institutions that he's hospitalized in from time to time. And how people are treated in general on the streets when they have mental illness, all of that feels very crime-ish to me yeah I agree I enjoyed not enjoyed enjoyed seems like the wrong word (laughs) you don't enjoy you enjoyed the book yeah you don't enjoy someone's journey through their father's mental health but you do I appreciated it I guess there you go yeah that's a better better way to say it (laughs) yes I yeah I and again I could appreciate the subject matter but the book as a whole wasn't my favorite to listen to I think if I followed your lead and would have uh put on my thinking cap and actually read it instead (laughs) of listened to it then I probably would feel differently right um so again just me plus I didn't love the narrator I don't that wasn't him I don't think I think it was a narrator it wasn't yeah no offense to that dude because I'm sure he's great I just didn't it wasn't my cup of tea it was hard because he pronounces the h with the w like when it's W H, he pronounces the H too. Like uh, the film. 
and it was uh. hard. There's like that whole skit with like Stewie from Family yeah. Guy with the cool whip. Cool whip. Yeah. yeah. He does. He that's what he does with it. And I it's just his pronunciation. Yeah. That's fine. But it was hard for me because I don't it catches you. It like there that. are things like when I'm reading that pull me out, like certain errors that pull me out of like whatever I'm imagining. So I totally get that because you can't always and that has nothing really a hundred percent to do with the person who's writing it, or in this case, like reading the book it's just me like my yes mind exactly it's just something like, I noticed what? and I'm like oh and it also wasn't really I because there wasn't that much the last one of the last books I read on I listened to I shouldn't I was gonna say read on audible but I meant listen to on audible the narrator like separated like at least tried to change their voice to like a male I hate female. that I am but for me it's easy. I don't love it but it's hard it's like easy for me to follow that. along that way no I can't handle but that. in this book there wasn't that much like male female right there's no like giant chat yeah, whole lot of dialogue <laughs> so that I can't handle that when there was some books. dialogue he didn't change his tone of voice at all and it's hard for me to follow along when listening that's just again that's just me like yeah. you don't like it yeah no it's definitely a personal (laughs) preference like some people enjoy very interesting yeah anyway that's on reading or listening (laughs) um all right so let's let's talk about this shit let's get into so the book basically mainly follows his father's life and then eventually steve's life dealing with um which we learned what started as schizophrenia, but was a huge misdiagnosis for 40 years of his freaking life. And he actually ended up having uh, bipolar bipolar disorder yeah. disorder. And at one point they thought he had manic depressive, which That's then it. turned into bipolar disorder. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about Virgil Hinshaw Jr. Yes, Jr. Yeah. He is the father in the story. He was born like the twenties. Yeah completely um, different time yes 100 percent. and it's like just really it's like his growing up having some hard things happen in his life uh his yeah. mom dies at a very young age that's hard in itself he was only three years old and then his father marries a missionary she's very strict that's the new mother figure in virgil's life so just from a very young age he's already I think he says that when a, a child loses somebody up until the age of five, it it alters their like chances of having a mental illness. I'm pretty sure he says that in Interesting. there. Interesting. Yeah, but he's not sure. Just like we're not sure, right? What that really, really means because then his, like you said, his stepmother comes in and she's pretty abusive to him. Not in a way that she thinks is abusive. She thinks she's being strict and a disciplinarian to him. But um, she dishes out these spankings and it's it's a lot to handle. It's a lot to read and this is not even Virgil's account of it. It's Steve's account of Virgil's account of it. So actually being there and handling it, that's it's a lot. So even beyond him having bipolar disorder, he went through a whole bunch of shit yeah (laughs) right after that in his life right so he's already raised in this pretty strict household his stepmother has pretty much you know control of his uh disciplined she convinced Mm -hmm. his father to hand over his raising to her kind of 
And then eventually by the age of 19, he has his first manic episode, which is bipolar depression. They have high highs and they have very low lows, but somewhere sometimes in between there. And that's where it kind of gets mixed up. They have sometimes some delusions and his right. started with the delusion um, where he thought if he somehow jumped off a roof, he was going to end the war that was happening at that time. Yeah. World War II. So yeah. And it was like the end of it. When we say that, we know there's no correlation between him jumping off this roof and the war ending, but in his mind, he was absolutely mm-hmm. convinced. And that's really a, a pretty good screenshot into what happens to somebody who has right. these episodes. They, right. They're truly like believing and whether they're hallucinating or not, like the thoughts they're having are real. They 100 them. and 100% believe in them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he truly thought, he was like the end of the Nazi World War II era. And it's, he truly like that. He was willing to jump off the roof for it. Like he believed. Right. And I think whether like they're seeing stuff or not, those thoughts are like it, the right thing for them. And that's, that's scary. Yeah. And it talks about even throughout his life, like he sees signs and things and that, are normal everyday things and like his brain starts to connect things that aren't there and make like meaning out of things that aren't there but it all to him is a hundred percent logical and he can't stop his brain from feeling this way while he's in a manic episode and it really there's a huge uh, emphasis on the dual parts of Virgil and then eventually the dual parts of their family because in one part of his life, he is extremely talented, gifted academically. He goes places. He's a professor. He's a philosopher. Like he's ends up, he's pretty decent father too. When he's there, like Steve right. loves him and connects with him. Maybe not towards Steve's sister, but we'll get to that yeah. down the road. Um, but he wasn't a bad guy, and he wasn't the same person as when he's in these manic states. Right. So there's a a one person he is and tries to be throughout his life and then he literally cannot control when he switches to the second person who has no control over their thoughts or actions they're just jumping from thing to thing and the only option they really have at this time when he's younger and then as he gets older is to hospitalize him and he ends up disappearing for long periods of time out of his children's life and on the advice of fucking doctors back then no one says anything to his family no one says anything to his children because they're told just ignore it don't say anything act like nothing happened yeah going on at one point he disappears for a year and then ends up in the kitchen one morning and they're supposed to just keep going on and they do because that's all they know that's so crazy. Yeah. I want to, I want to rant for about six hours. On that, Cause that just, I don't care who you are or what time period you're in ignoring something as fundamental as your parent coming in and out of your life with no explanation. And sometimes the behavior, they hit it a lot for them. They really did like cover a lot up from the kids. So they didn't see the worst of it, but they did see some of it that he talks about a time he's at a restaurant and he's kind of provoking his mother-in-law with things. And he sees like the gleam in his eye when he changes personalities. Mm -hmm. And there's no like way to make that go away. 
even when you're not talking about it. And that just seems like if you are a smart individual who has studied this field for a long time and you're this fucking doctor, you would think that it would be logical to not say, hey, just don't talk about it with your kids. Right. Just act like he's there all the time. Yeah. And just, you know, no big deal. Your kids will be fine. That infuriated me. This won't cause any type of childhood trauma. Their dad just... Yeah, they're totally gonna, you know, they're gonna turn out fine, you know. <laughs> and then we're we also have, the ones taking care of your husband, don't right? Exactly. <laughs> and then we have uh, the mother, Steve's yes. mother, who through all this is being ignored and pushed to yeah. the side, even when she's coming to these doctors and saying, and telling them, like, this is this is what's happening. I'm seeing right. it, I'm here every day. And they're like, no, you're a woman, you're nobody. You can't see it, but I'm You're flipping not a off doctor. the imaginary <laughs> doctors. Yeah, they're discrediting her, and she's the person who's literally there day and night covering yeah. his ass as he goes through these things. Yeah. So, yeah, that just seems like common sense to me. I didn't go, no, not, exactly. not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. If but... I went to the doctor right now, well, I guess I should say if Kyle went to the doctor right now, my husband, because you know I'm a woman, so I'll make it woman going and and something was wrong with him. I'm sitting there and telling the doctor, like, no, this isn't how he acts. This isn't what he like. If if they don't believe me, like that's just right. Like, and I'm they're the one, also the, we're, like your spouse is the one who's there <laughs> every day. They're also only seeing him when he's in these states. Exactly. They're not seeing the lead up to. Right. And she is. And she's telling them, hey, there's actual specific signs that happen each time he goes into these episodes. And they're like, no, he's schizophrenic. It comes and it goes. There's no pattern here. We know everything. (laughs) They ego on these fucking guys. Where does my mind? And eventually later in his life, it takes Steve, who's a man, of course. So they kind of listen more. Yeah, takes 100. Steve, who's in college, saying to his uncle, who is a doctor and, and kind of comes in and out. This is Virgil's brother, comes in and yeah. out of his care to try and like arrange situations. So the best of his ability with him also being sick. Uh, saying to him, hey, I think my dad doesn't have schizophrenia. I think these patterns kind of show he has bipolar. And it literally takes a phone call from his uncle, who's a, a doctor, to his father's doctor. And his father's doctor's like, oh, yeah, I just took a class on that. That kind of seems right. 40 years. Yeah. And he gets pissed off. Steve gets pissed off. And I get pissed off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so reading it. 40 years of misdiagnosis. And it just took a phone call from somebody else from for that to be like. Yeah, that makes sense. That's definitely what's happening here. We're going to change his medications. Those are those are the doctors. Those are the times, too. Yeah. Because we're yeah. hogging at this point around yeah. the 70s. Yes. Well, anyways. So I just went off on a little tangent there. It was a little I was, tangent. I, I, I was mean, a little pissed. That was a little pissed. Rightfully so. <laughs> Rightfully so. What do I know? I'm a woman. <laughs> uh, I mean, keeping in with the way the doctors interacted with his wife, he kind of shut out his wife and his daughter, too, because of the yeah. abuse he had 
had happened with his stepmother, he didn't know how to relate to women. So when these episodes happened, eventually he started letting Stephen after a while because he knew how to relate to Stephen. He would tell him these stories of things that happened, but he didn't know how to connect with his Steve's sister, Sally. She never got that side of him. And that's really clear. And Steve's very aware of that, that she mm-hmm. didn't connect with their dad a whole lot because he didn't know how. And he shut his wife out a lot. He didn't even can we talk about the fact that he didn't even tell her he had yeah, like any kind of problems before yeah. they got married? I know. I would have bailed. I'm sorry. If I Something had known like beforehand, that, yes. I wouldn't have bailed if you had been upfront and honest with me. Right. If you had not hit it this entire time, I would have bailed if you hit it right up until you're breaking down and I have to commit you to a, a mental hospital. Exactly. Because as... For her, that's scary too. Like to yeah. have to witness your husband, and you have no knowledge of him having any past, Episodes, whether it's yeah. mental or like physical. Like right, you've never you don't known know him his to life be before, exactly. Like you, and she's probably like, "What in the world? like?" That would just be really scary. Yeah, this woman holds literally so much that her body starts to break down with it. She holds the weight of protecting her children. She holds the weight of constantly being on pins and needles of her husband slipping into another episode. She's also from a very strict, like religious family. So there's that to hold on to. And she's a woman in the fifties. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> the, this woman is, she is really something. She is. I agree. Ooh. I know. And like literally the fact that it took such a toll on her body. And like when Steven was talking about that, it just was like, so unnerving but like powerful I know I I'd heard that before like some people say sometimes you hold in things so long that you eventually get cancer I hadn't heard rheumatoid arthritis is what she eventually ends up being diagnosed with which from what I heard is so fucking painful yeah like you can't move yeah yeah it's a whole lot and literally all she did her entire life was try and like take care of other people and take care of situations and be everything that everyone needed her to be. And she just ends up breaking down in her body. Yeah. It was really, it's so fucking sad, but he really did write it in a way that was not beautiful, but like, I don't know, understandable and relatable. Yeah. Relatable. Yeah. Made you understand what she was going through. Yeah. It could make you feel. So that's one part of the book is Virgil's story, but really we're we're getting it all told through Steve's eyes, which is his son, and that he is the second half of the book. Yeah. And Steve has a lot of shit happening, you know, because he's mm-hmm. growing up in secrets and lies. Yes. Um, from the time he's very little, and he tries to cope with all of that chaos in any way he can and ends up coming out and him trying to control whatever he can so eventually as he gets older he starts to have an eating disorder because it's the only way he feels like it's a ritual he does to get some sleep at night he can't Mm -hmm. control his mind his thoughts erasing he feels like if he doesn't sleep he's gonna die and he doesn't know how to get to sleep and one night he just ends up puking and it becomes a routine for him so he's dealing with all the stuff on him and and that's the only way he knows how to get through it it. Mm -hmm. and he's pretty young i think right when he started doing that he's pretty young Mm -hmm. yeah because before that like he was talking about one of the first times he realized it because he kept going up to like use the bathroom oh yeah yeah 
And it was, it's all stemmed from the same thing from him, like not being able to go to sleep. And yeah, he kept thinking, Oh, if I don't go one more time, if I don't go. And so, you know, he's always had some type of little like compulsion. Happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then it kind of, as you know, grew into that as, yeah, I got a little bit older, but um, it was always kind of there. Yeah. And he kind of, he knew, obviously, he's there. none of them are dumb. He knew something was happening. Mm-hmm. His dad was gone for long periods of time and would just reappear. He only tried to, like, broach the subject with his mom one time and got shut down yeah. kind of quickly um, for it. And he thought, he kept thinking, well, if I just do good in school, if I just be better at sports, if I just do everything I'm supposed to do in my faith or religion, everything will work out. And it ended up not being that way, Mm -hmm. but he did know something was happening and it wasn't until his what freshman year in college. Right. Yeah. Where his dad starts having these talks with him Mm -hmm. and connecting him. Like we said in a way he didn't with Sally, but he starts putting the pieces together more because he knew something was wrong. Something was happening, but he also didn't have any information to go with it. Yeah. Zero information. And dad just kind of jumps right in with his jump off the building. Like he doesn't (laughs) go in slow. He just kind of jumps right in there, but he is a teacher. His dad is. So I feel like the Mm -hmm. talks kind of seemed like that, like lessons he was giving teaching lectures he was giving. Uh, and I think that one might be easier because, like, you're distancing yourself from the personalness right, of it. Right. Kind of, yeah. You're telling it, like, not from maybe from your point of view, then it's a little bit easier. To... Yeah, but it's like history. You don't have mm-hmm. to actually be in it and feeling what's happening. Right. Is what I got from his telling of it because it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of emotion attached to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I would cry, but that's me and I'm. <laughs> A little baby. Uh, yeah. Same <laughs> Um, So he knew things were happening with his dad and he ended up having these talks. But even before he ended up having these talks, his interest for school steered more towards psychology. Mm-hmm. And it just made sense for him to push harder in that once he found out that his dad had. Yeah. At the time, he thought it was schizophrenia. Um, it wasn't until he was out of school that he actually was diagnosed with bipolar. But so he pushed to be uh, in some kind of psychology. I don't know if he wanted to eventually end up being a psychologist, but he did, right? Mm-hmm. He ended up yeah. being a psychologist. Yeah. Um, and then a whole chunk of this book is really about his work with um, children, very young kids who have some kind of you know, either behavioral problem or they have autism or they have bipolar uh, disorder or, you know, kids from very young ages and getting them the help they need right away. And I thought that was awesome and amazing. I agree. I think it's cool how people, I mean, obviously there's still like a lot that people have to do, but it's becoming, especially working in childcare, becoming more common for me to see parents really trying to figure this stuff out when children are young and you know because you know we've just learned that the younger you start this stuff the better right it's much easier to teach them these skills when they're young and then they can grow with them and learn with them but back then that like nobody wanted their children 
Yeah, I think so, like have in- anything, and so that he is like bringing the positive. Yeah, side. which when he started was like early nineties, and I think even I don't know about you, but I feel like they didn't even back then. Yes, yeah, that, recognize yes, it as much. One hundred percent agree. So we really have come a long way, even if sometimes it feels like we haven't come mm-hmm. that far. We'll keep taking steps. Get rid of these stigmas. Right. Okay. Yeah. We'll just talk about stigma until the end. Yeah. So it's like, most. okay. Yeah. yeah. It's most of the book is about that anyways. I, mm. The number of times you mentioned stigma in stigma. the book. Stigma. Exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. I get it, dude. I it's literally in the subtitle, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you don't then have to repeat it 16 times. I understand where you're 16 coming 16 times from. per page. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I got you. I'm following what you're saying. You don't then have to repeat it and shove it down my throat. I understand. (laughs) You're angry and upset about it. I can feel it. I'm with you. I'm here for it. Let's just stop saying stigma. Okay. Let's bring it down, Sarah. Let's bring it back down. All right. So we're talking about his career. I'm really a whole huge part of his career and his message through the book and kind of his goal in life is to end the stigma around mental health. And I think- Another one of his important messages was that there has to be a balance. It's not all biological. It's not all therapeutic. There has to be a combination Mm -hmm. of both, which I completely agree with. Me too, 100%. I've been on medication for 10 years, and there have definitely been times where I needed therapy to pull me through depression, even though I was on that medication. Yeah. And I don't think I would have like made it through a lot of stuff in life without the medication but also without the therapy. Yeah, I agree. I think they're definitely, it needs to work together. Yeah. Um, it can't be all one way or the other, especially if it is something that you truly do need medication for. Um, right. Don't take that like, lightly. don't take that lightly. Exactly. Yeah. It's okay. Um, yeah. Like if that's, it definitely needs to be like 50, 50 type thing. And yeah. A lot of situations. And it's not always like a clear-cut plan. Sometimes you have to reassess where you're at in that moment mm-hmm. and and think about what you need in that moment. Am I feeling like my medication is not working? Maybe I need to tweak that. Or am I feeling like this is something I can get through talking about it? I'm saying that on a very basic level. Obviously, schizophrenia and bipolar and like a right. lot of these um, need different treatments. This is just what has worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I can't see where it would hurt to talk things through and like assess where you're at. But exactly. also sometimes your brain needs those different chemicals. Yeah. So. And sometimes you need to listen to you too, not just your doctor. Because as we've seen in this book, the doctors aren't always right. Very so, true. You know, yeah. Sometimes you have mind to. Too. If you're in a place where you can trust yourself and what you're saying definitely do so yeah um, and I think you have to (laughs) advocate for yourself and it's that's not always Mm -hmm. easy because I get just as anxious being in a doctor's office as I am anywhere else and it took me a long time to stand up and say these are my boundaries this is how I'm feeling no I don't want to go up on my medication because I want to deal with it in a different way or maybe yeah I think I need more medication like Mm -hmm. Uh, knowing where you have to be your own advocate. And I know that's not always the case for Easy, people yeah. and it's not always like something you can do, but mm-hmm. it is something that 
if you're you're capable of doing you should do because yeah exactly they're not they're just people that see you for 20 minutes every so often they're not gonna know everything that's Mm -hmm. right for you so you have to like you said listen to yourself and and families too like if you're you know if a family member is struggling with something like this be an advocate for your family member right like you know them as like we talked about with Virgil and his wife like you know them so if the person is incapable to speak up for themselves hopefully there's someone there you know that can and if you are that someone you should right and it I'm saying this in the most blase way but yes fuck stigma and I know that's not always easy to do but sometimes like you can't be worrying about what your neighbors are going to say or mm-hmm. people are going to say sometimes literally it's life and death sometimes. So yeah, you have to push through that stigma to you. I'm putting this on people way too much as a society. We need to be more gentle and, and kind and compassionate towards people who are going through some actual shit. Yes. That matters, you know, not like vapid social media shit that doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Um, I'm putting it on people way too much. I just feel like I wish someone had told me to stand up for myself and and not worry about what people think or well, feel then, about yeah. me and and just worry and really take care of myself because if I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of the people that I love and I can't sometimes it literally comes down to you can't keep on living if you don't take care of yourself. So, yeah. That's my fucked up positive message for the week, people. But it's true. Imagine the reading rainbow. <laughs> just, just be fucking kind and take care of yourself. SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh yeah. <laughs> da, da. <laughs> um, and that's but it. That's guys. positivity. And that's positivity. positivity. We're ending on a depressing positivity note. Just be kind to yourself and take care of yourself. And be kind to others. And be kind to others. And we said this a lot. But the world's a shitty place, but we need to do better and yes. just be, be a decent human being. I think we've said kind about seven times, eight, nine times, but that's where it is. <laughs> kindness <laughs> corner. Kindness. This is our <laughs> kindness corner. Everyone hold hands down <laughs> while we chant. <laughs> oh. All right. We hope you'll hear our voices next week. Bye. Bye.